Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, listen, they want me to say hello. Welcome to the James Well Best Bits of Tonight's show. Wish you can hear every night, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio from 7 till 10. But I said, wouldn't it be best to call it the worst of whale? So have a listen. See what you think. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Uh, the breaking news today has been that uh, they think, detectives think, that the man who committed this appalling atrocity, I mean, beyond words, absolutely beyond words, may well be in prison in Germany and uh, it may well bring a close for the McCann family. Gosh, I hope it does. It must be so tragic for them. I don't know how they... It just must be terrible. Uh, Daryl Jackson, talk radio newsreader and reporter, has been following this story over the last 10 years. Daryl. Hello, James. Yes. Um, some breaking news, actually, in the last few minutes. Uh, the Metropolitan Police has revealed that they've had more than 270 calls and emails since uh, launching this new appeal over the disappearance of Madeleine McCann yesterday. And obviously, as you say, uh, German authorities said they think she was killed. That's contrary to what police mm. are still saying here. Um, they're still very much treating this as a missing person case until, and they've said this all along, James, uh, until they get very clear evidence otherwise. Mm. Gosh, I hope she is still alive. I really do. But the guy in Germany um, is in prison for is he in prison for murder? I and think. rape and, he's, and, and yeah. various other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're saying you know, he's in prison uh, for previously being convicted of crimes against children and yeah. is currently in jail serving a long sentence. Is all we know at the moment on that one. Mm. Yeah, and and how how do they suddenly put these two this 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 guy together with this case? Well, that's not known. It's not known, kind of. Um, what they know on this guy, what this guy has said. It's been very quiet. All that we can say at the moment, all that people have been saying is that they hope this is a significant lead. And in fact, I think Madeline's parents said earlier that this is kind of one of the most significant leads in the last hmm. 13 years since she, since she disappeared. But you know, I don't know how they manage. I mean, uh, bless them. They've, they've kept this story um, in the news agenda, whether hmm. on the front pages or not. They've kept it there for 13 years. Yeah, they have. And the thing that struck me, because I covered this back in 2007 when it happened, I actually went out to Pride Deluge at the time, um, and you know there were, there was pictures of Madeline's face everywhere. It really kind of mm. struck with with people not only in the UK but right across the world. There was this uh, three-year-old girl um, with, with a, a family on holiday. They they were two doctors, and most of us probably have a package holiday you know once a year, and for their daughter just disappeared. The story really kind of kind of hit a nerve across the world. Across the world. Uh, and even where she lived, I spent time there from a little village um, in, in Leicestershire called Rothley. I spent mm. time there, and the community there, they were kind of all supporting the family. Uh, yeah. were, I remember back in, back 10 years ago, there were pink ribbons tied to railings everywhere. You couldn't move for, for pink ribbons. Um, and people kind of hoping, praying that you know, there would be a good outcome to this. 
It must have been very, very difficult for them to get on with their lives, but they did remarkably well, didn't they? I mean, the, I think um, uh, Madeline's dad's a doctor. I think and he they is. both are, aren't they? Yes, he's a, he's a, he's a heart doctor, if I, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I think his, uh, his wife, um, Kate McCann, is, um, she, was, she was a GP at the time um, in Melton Mowbray, I believe, um, mm. and uh, uh, her father was a, um, a heart surgeon. But how, you know, yeah. they spent £11 million on this investigation, all the police forces in Portugal. And this guy was a convicted sex offender living in Praia de Luz, wasn't he? And well, why no, did they, just outside. Well, why did they not look at this guy before? Or maybe well, they I did. Don't think or, they knew he was a, a, a convicted. Yeah. He sold a car, didn't he, the day well. after? He, he sold, did, he did. Yeah. And I don't know, I remember, obviously this is like 13 years ago, I remember something, they mentioned something today on, on the news when, when I was watching that earlier, to say that... Um, uh, he'd changed his number plates on his car shortly after um, Madeline had gone missing. Now, I remember covering that, I'm sure I do, about 13 years ago. Oh, really? A so Jaguar, wasn't been, it? Whether, yeah, yeah, whether he's been on their radar for a while. Right, oh, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, at the moment, you know, they're saying very little about this 43-year-old German suspect at the moment. Uh, it, you know, the speculation, has he, has, has he confessed or, or not to something? Because the police in Germany are mm. quite clearly, you know, treating this as a murder investigation. Uh, whereas uh, the Metropolitan Police, as we know, are not. Hmm. Are they now or not? Or they're still not, uh, no? Uh, they're, they're still not. But they they want, in, in some way, to find uh, an explanation where she may be or to find, sadly, a body. Hmm. Well, that was what was said earlier for, by, by the Metropolitan Police, is that, you know, uh, yeah. at the moment, because there is no body, she has never been found, um, they're reluctant to kind of treat this as a murder investigation until there's some clear evidence but that is what happened. Um, Daryl, thank you very much indeed. Hope that this is perhaps the positive um, uh, end of this tragic story. Daryl Jackson took Radio Newsreader and reporter. He has to get back for his um, his next bulletin. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Now, here's another interesting story. Scientists have hit out at plans for quarantine. Leading scientists have warned the Prime Minister... Uh, Two-week foreign quarantine plans makes no sense. Uh, So we've got Professor Paul Hunter, Professor of Medicine at the University of East Anglia. Good evening, uh, Paul. Good evening to you. Is it a stupid idea? Well, I think it it depends on the context. And at the moment, certainly, um, I can't see any value when when, um, most countries on the planet have substantially less uh, transmission than we have in the UK. And, And so... People coming into this country from, say, Spain, um, we are, are probably more at risk from the immigration officer than the immigration officer is at risk from them at the moment. So in, in that context, it, it doesn't actually add to public health, uh, any, any real public health value. And, um, and it does bring with it considerable um, uh, issues for trade and um, and indeed tourism if we ever mm. get to that this year um, and and so one would have hoped that if to do something like that there would have been fairly strong public health um, uh, um, um, consensus that that was actually going to be uh, benefited in reducing mm. infection which I think you probably gathered that there's fairly unanimous almost unanimous scientific consensus that this probably doesn't have a huge amount of public health value, certainly at the moment. Mm. Should it have been yeah. done at the start, maybe? Would, that, would it have helped at the very start? Um, the, problem, the problem 
you know, if we were, if we had introduced it at the start, we would have probably chosen to ban flights uh, incoming from China. Um, actually, almost all of the UK cases that we've had can trace their origin back to Italy. So, you know, essentially at the beginning, we would have had to uh, close our borders to everybody. Yeah. And and the evidence from past history, going back you know, centuries to the mm. Black Death, um, is that travel restrictions like that, they, they can sometimes delay um, mm. by a matter of a few weeks, but generally rarely actually impact on the totality mm. of the outbreak. Although 3,000 you... Atletico Madrid fans wouldn't, wouldn't help. Mm. Uh, well, indeed not. And, uh, and I think that, that's a slightly different issue because that's a mass gathering. Yeah. And, um, and, and certainly I think the evidence yeah. at the time was very clear that actually mass gatherings are a risk of transmission of infectious disease. And, you know, in our own work, we've found that, um, that uh, banning mass gatherings across Europe was one of the more important yeah. steps that you could take to reduce the spread of the infection. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Is there anything that, that uh, we could have done better um, that we would have known about? Or is it just a question that we've never really been hit by anything yeah. like this? Not as far as I can hear that, it, it, you know, we had to do what we felt was right. Yeah. I mean, and I think actually in the first parts of the outbreak, we, we did really well. I think hmm. that the, um, uh, the UK's initial uh, diagnosis contact tracing, getting people into hospital went very well. And I think we did that to a very high standard in the UK. Um, the problem occurred when actually this, this, the large number of cases across the whole country that amongst people, many of whom were relatively young and therefore would mm. probably have very few symptoms um, coming into this country um, from Italy, mm. uh, and and at that point, you know, it was um, you know it, it was game over in terms of trying to contain it, and uh, and then we had the the issue. Uh, then we had difficulties over the delays yeah. in implementing lockdown, which um, certainly I think in retrospect um, we should have uh, moved on that a lot quicker. Mm. Right, uh, Professor, thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, and fascinating to know. Uh, so we will all be masking up. Um, Ash, I believe, does anyway. I, do. I double mask up. <clears throat> oh, you double mask yeah, up. Double mask. Uh, Professor Paul Hunter, thank you for that. Professor of Medicine at the University of East Anglia. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. We're going to now talk, I think, to uh, Mike Yardley, as you quite rightly said. Do you know why we're going to talk? Yes, because it's seventy-six years this Saturday since D-Day. Hmm. Uh, and we thought, well, we should mark, it won't be on the air, we should uh, mark that. And what was the proper discussion. name of D-Day? I think it was Operation Overlord, wasn't it? Um, I think it was. I think it was. Michael, no. And I can't, you know, I can't tell you that uh, 5,000 ships Amazing, yeah. To, went out to land there. And, More than 150,000 uh, troops. Mm -hmm. Terrible. It was an absolute carnage. Anyway, Mr Yardley, good evening to you, sir. Good evening, James. Good evening, Ash. Good evening. Yeah, I mean, the scale of this operation is extraordinary. The invasion of Europe is Operation Overlord. The assault phase is Operation Neptune. 
Ah, yes. And and the bit that came before that, amongst others, was Operation Fortitude, which was the extraordinary deception plan um, mm. to mislead the Germans. Well, that was as amazing as the actual operation, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it but was, explain course, for people who don't know what what happened happened. Well, it's a lot to explain. Let's let's put it into context. That you've got these beaches in France: Usar, Omar, Gold, Juno, and Sword. Which I've actually been to, and I think everybody, everybody, if you get a chance, should just go and think about it. It is, and going to the cemeteries as well, James. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. it really does concentrate oh, God. my mind. I tell you, I went to one up in, in the hills of Normandy because I used to have a house in Normandy, and um, I've never seen anything like it. And so, so well looked after, so yeah. clean, so tidy, so... Precise, aren't they, as well? Aren't they? Beautifully yeah, tended and very mo- terribly moving, as yeah. are indeed are the First World War cemeteries when you go there. Now, what you have anyway are these beaches which are between Cherbourg and Deauville. And, of course, the Allies had to do everything they could to deceive the Germans. There was talk of, you know, invasion via Norway. There were talks of um, the Brit- Brittany, but the coasts, um, it was just too far away. Holland was subject to flooding. Belgium, um, Belgium had strong currents at the coast, and um, there were Germans, of course, waiting around mm. Calais. So this is what dictated the Allies going for those beaches. But this was a massive operation, and we've spoken previously about Dunkirk. And, of yeah. course, when Dunkirk happened in 1940, you have the remnants of the um, army going back with French forces back to, back to Britain, and you then have the Battle of Britain ensuing in the air soon after. Mm. But, of course, the Allies have to do something, to, you know, so they've got to defeat Hitler. Now, this is a major logistical operation. It's not just about fighting. It's about factories. So they've got to go to factories in America. They've got to get trucks and tanks and men trained in America and in Canada. They've got to win the Battle of the, the Atlantic, and that happens in 1943. Up to that point, the German U-boats had been dominant in the Atlantic, so you couldn't bring the materials across from the States to Europe Mm. to begin this massive operation. So from 1943, with control of the Atlantic established, vast quantities of equipment could be brought over to Britain. Plans could be made. Troops could be trained in the U.S. and Canada that would come um, come come to Britain and train on the beaches. One of the advantages to those beaches that were selected was you could have training grounds on the opposite ground on the um, on the British side, on the coast, on the south yeah. coast. Um, so it, it all um, fitted together in that sense. Now, I have to say... The Eisenhower, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you had no, 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 the on. overall commander of the American forces, and Monty, of course, was our ground forces commander. But there was a lot of politics playing here. Hmm. Because I have to say, forty-four, they were looking to the end of the war, and Monty knew that the British forces had to be seen to take a big part, or we would lose our position as a strategic power. Which we did a so bit, didn't all... we? We became a junior partner, didn't we, in the peace? Mm. Yes, and and Monty tried to manage the perception of that, mm. and well, it's you know, matter of history. Didn't work so well. <clears throat> Perhaps yeah. not. No. And the Americans, I get a bit fed up with it, say, oh, they won the Second World War, when in fact they mm. came mm. more or less halfway through, didn't they? 
I think that's the impression, of course. I mean, Hollywood, of course, gives the impression that, you know, it was Audie Murphy who won the war. Um, <laughs> and we had to give them basically all our money, the Americans, after the war. Yeah, well, we, of course, borrowed vastly yeah. to yeah. pay for the war. Always interesting to talk, Mike. We'll talk again, I'm sure, before long. Uh, Mike Yardley, uh, military historian. Thank you very much indeed. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. That was uh, the clips for today. The worst of whale, or sorry, sorry, the best of James Whale. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed them. Well, I suppose if you didn't enjoy them, you won't be listening, will you? Anyway, I'll be back 7 o'clock until 10, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio. Have a great day. Thank you for listening.